0: Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service with Pastor Mike on Stornagel. We once lost our son Oliver at a flea market. And I know this is, that's the kind of thing that most parents have done, but we don't usually confess it out loud, right? Yeah, but I mean, have you been to a Norwegian flea market? It's kind of crazy. Like, I don't know what happens to Norwegians when there's a flea market. They just go off script. (laughs) There's loads of people and both grown-ups and kids, and they're all over the place grabbing stuff going behind each other, trying to be in front of each other. And then there's also stuff, so much stuff. Piles and piles of stuff, all over the place. And also, two-year-olds don't tend to stay still in the same place for a very long time. So it's kind of a risky combination (laughs) To bring your two-year-old to a flea market, I guess, in hindsight. So there we were at the flea market years ago when Oliver was was about two. He's 10 now. And we were looking around the furniture section. So there's like desks and tables and chairs and whatever all over the place. And Oliver was there. And then suddenly he wasn't. And for all I could remember, I had just Turned my head like, for just a few seconds to look at whatever and he was gone. And as young and experienced parents do, what we did was we freaked out. <laughs> right? That's what you do. Uh, we started looking for him all around and in and out in different rooms and Worst case scenarios are shooting through our heads as we try to locate this two-year-old. And we're like, oh, he's dressed in this like kindergarten overall. But then all Norwegian kids are dressed in, right, in kindergarten overalls. And they all look the same in that stuff. And they're all running all over the place and climbing. And, and where is he, right? And we're running around and we're getting super stressed. And as you probably imagine at this point, we found him right there where we had been. <laughs> Right, right there where there we had been before, we started searching all over. He had gone under a desk or something uh, because I don't know, it looked fun, and and it, the whole fear had only taken a couple of minutes. Even though in our heads and hearts it had been like a small eternity, it had only taken a couple of minutes. So Oliver was blissfully unaware that anything had happened and that anything was wrong. He was just walking around and being a two-year-old. Again, I want to emphasize that. The whole affair just took a couple of minutes, okay? So don't judge us, okay? I mean, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. At least, at least we're better parents than Mary and Joseph. Okay? Because they lost a 12-year-old and they didn't even realize that they had lost him for a whole day, and then it took them another three days to find him. Now, that's an odd story to choose to tell, isn't it? If it's awkward enough to confess to having sort of briefly lost oversight over where my two-year-old was in in the flea market, why would why would St. Luke want to include this major parenting fail in his account of the life of Jesus Christ? Of all the stories that we like to imagine that Luke could have told us about Jesus' childhood, this is the one story he decides to tell us? It's weird. Let me tell the story. Let me share it with you. And we find it, as I said, in the Gospel according to St. Luke, uh, chapter 2, from verse 41 to 52. And I read from the NRSV translation, from verse 41 to 52, chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went uh, up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. That's the story. That's the story. And why, right? Joseph and Mary seem to be having a major fail. Jesus seems to be a bit overly cheeky, right? If my kid is lost for three days and answers me like that, I'm not going to be happy. Why? Why did the gospel writer Luke want to tell us of this major parenting blooper among all other stories? Well, first of all, because that's not what this is. That's not what this is. Some preachers and some commentators have sort of tried to save Mary and Joseph's reputations with with sort of explanations about cultural differences regarding parenting and how it might have been reasonable for them to expect that Jesus was among this big group of people because they were all traveling together and what this and what not. And whether these explanations are plausible or not, they're just beyond the point. Just not the point. Other writers of the early centuries of the common area after Christ, they have also tried to explore other stories about Jesus' childhood. Uh, Some of them quite fantastical account of Jesus' style, sort of Smallville style. Right? But that is also not what Luke is doing. This is not a story about parenting. It is also not a story meant to quench our curiosity about Jesus' childhood. Both literally and theologically, we have much better reasons for understanding why Luke tells this story. Now, it helps if we actually stop to remember that though Luke is giving us this story in some sort of chronological narrative, and Luke, among the gospel writers, is the one who more tries to make an effort to put things in what at least looks a bit more like a chronological order, right? It goes from childhood and then these, or birth, childhood, adult years, and he sort of flows on what looks like a a very neat or a more neat neat chronological structure than the other gospels. Uh, But even though he does that, That is not how Luke himself came to these stories. Luke was first met and transformed by the message of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. That's how Luke meets Jesus. For all we know, there are reasons to believe that Luke was, might have been a Gentile as well, a non-Jew, which means that's also how he came to the scriptures, the stories, everything that is behind, right? Right? He was first met and transformed by the message of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And having had his life and his convictions transformed by that living, resurrected Christ, Luke then sets himself to the task of writing about Jesus and his story. A couple of decades later. In other words, Luke doesn't need a miraculous birth, and Luke does not need a miraculous childhood to justify Jesus or to justify his worth. Luke is already convinced of the worth of Jesus and of the grace, of the power of grace in his own life through Jesus when he sets out to know and to tell these stories and to explore them and to find out and to talk to whomever he talked to, the witnesses he calls them in the beginning of the gospel that could tell him more. More about this Jesus whom he had already learned and known to love and to be Lord. So this is not a story About parenting, it is not a story out there to quench our curiosity for details about Miracle Jesus Kid, right? This is a story told with a Christological purpose. What we mean by that is that it is a story to tell us something about the Jesus who was already revealed as the Christ, the anointed child of God, and whose life, death, and resurrection Luke had found meaning, life And grace, this is a story of epiphany. Now we have, last year, paid a bit more attention to the seasons of the liturgical calendar, which is a circular calendar that many churches worldwide follow every year. Some to a bigger extent, some to a lesser extent. Some of us are just doing the major events, you know, Easter, uh, Easter, Pentecost, Christmas, all of those big ones. But there's this circular season, and we've been sort of attentive to it. And last year, we paid special attention. And we're going to continue sort of having that in the background, even though we're not going to emphasize uh, the terms quite as much. But we are now, today is the transition from the season of Christmas to the season of Epiphany. And the season of Epiphany is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ as being the God-Self revealed, incarnated, and present. That's what the season of Epiphany is all about, understanding Jesus as God revealing himself, Jesus as divine, and tying these things together. And this Sunday, today, as I said, is the transition, and it's often called the Feast of the Epiphany. And It marks, as I said, this transition from the season of Christmas to the season of Epiphany. And traditionally, this transition and this feast are marked by telling actually a different story from the story that we told today. It is marked by telling the story of the Magi from the East. Maybe you heard the story of the Magi from the East. They're there in our nativity scenes. I wonder if they're... Yeah, they're here. They're right here in the nativity scene. These three ones by the camel in the front. We cram them into the nativity scene because we try to make everything fit in one neat little package, right? But the story goes, as St. Matthew tells us, that these three magi from the east, which by all we know means these were stargazers and fortune tellers, often quite wealthy because of the work as advisors to kings and to royalty, they, in some manner, come to understand that a child is born to the Jews, through their stargazing, through probably some knowledge of the Jewish uh, beliefs and scriptures, they put these pieces together and they set out on a journey to find this king child who was born to the Jews. And they go and they set on a travel to find him, and they go to Jerusalem. And upon coming to Jerusalem, they create a commotion and Herod, who is the tetrarch, who is the ruler, uh, invites them in, is not happy about the story, and he invites his own priests, the ones who were very known with the law and the prophecies, because these wandering magi are asking, where is this child supposed to be born? And they say, well, the prophecy says Bethlehem. And Herod says, well, go to Bethlehem, check it out, see if they're there, and then let me know. And these magi go on, and they come and find Jesus in Bethlehem. Probably if we're going to take those, try to set up those chronologies, they would show up around when Jesus is two years old, actually, and a toddler, and not at the manger. But that's a different story. Uh, they come, they worship Jesus, they gift him with royal gifts of mire, gold, and incense, and then they return from a different route because they're told by an angel that Herod is up to no good, and they should not come back by him. That's the story. I'm not going to talk a lot more about that. But that's the story of Epiphany. And it's a wonderful story because it brings these, these three men who were coming from a whole different set of knowledge that was actually quite respected in the ancient world, and they're searching. They're searching for Jesus. And they go, and they find this child in a village outside Jerusalem, And somehow recognize him to be a child that had been divine, that had been announced by the stars and the prophecies. And then they go on. When Matthew tells that story, he is not telling us the story of the Magi. He is, but that's not his point. He's telling us the story of Jesus. When Matthew puts This child Jesus, and has these magi from the east coming, giving these very symbolical gifts that are gifts given to kings. He is telling us something about Jesus. He is saying, this Jesus is the king. This Jesus is receiving gifts that are worth the emperor, the Lord. Jesus is this new figure as a lord, as an emperor. And all these codings are very well known to the first readers of these stories. These stories, the story of the Magi from the East, the story of the baby Jesus, or the boy Jesus, 12-year-old in the temple, they are placed as they are in the beginning of the gospel accounts because they want to center Jesus in the narrative, which of course seems obvious, right? But it isn't. It's to center Jesus in the narrative and then invite us to follow Jesus as he takes us on the journey. And it takes us to all sorts of different places in the land and in the landscape of all the understandings around. To all sorts of places and to witness as Jesus' presence allows for new meanings and new possibilities to be created in all these different places. Which are places of knowledge and are places of religious practice and our places of devotion and our places of meaning that we thought we knew. But now they are new. Now something is happening because new meanings are now shaped by the power of the grace revealed in the logic and the lived expression of incarnation. God is with us. God is there. God is here. The God who makes themselves present in the person of Jesus Christ. Epiphany. That's what happens in also these stories. Right? The magi, uh, the teachers of the law, Herod with his power and his doubt, represent both these, these places of power, but also these places of knowledge. These sets of Knowledge that were so important in the ancient world with the Magi and the place of religious knowledge that was controlled and cared for by the priests and the teachers of the law. All of this is brought together to the person of Jesus and suddenly it's it's reshaped. Something happens. Something turns. New meanings are made possible. Even for these Magi from the east. When Matthew does that, he's saying all sorts, like all, all knowledges from the corners of the earth, are brought to Jesus and are brought to his feet and are made anew and can be renewed and made afresh in the presence of this God that is with us. Also the places, Jerusalem, right? It's not it's not just any place, it's the place of the temple. It's the place of the practice, of the traditions, of the community of faith, the place where you go to to worship God, the place where Joseph and Mary go to, to be part of the festivals, to be part of the people of God, to seek God's presence. And in this place, the questioning about Jesus with Herod and a Magi happens, and the boy Jesus is found making questions and giving answers. What is he doing exactly? Exactly. Luke leaves it sort of dubious, doesn't he? First, Luke says that Jesus is making questions, but then he says that everybody is amazed by his answers. And he doesn't quite let us know, but he's there. These places of tradition, of practice of faith, are suddenly opened up. (laughs) So the story... The story of Jesus at the temple is about Jesus as the Christ. And Luke gives us strong theological and literary clues to this by actually cross-referencing his own work. And what I mean by that is, first of all, what's this whole thing with the three days? It's odd, isn't it? They took one day, and then they take three. And Luke is... Referencing Jesus' death and resurrection, he's making a bridge right there. Because again, Luke knew Jesus first through his death and the resurrection before he comes uh, to this story of the boy Jesus in the temple. So he's saying, this boy Jesus that they are looking for, he is the same Jesus whom we know, we we have known crucified and risen. And then he also makes a reference to the resurrection. When the women come to the tomb looking for Jesus and are met by the angels who ask them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking in the wrong place, right? Where are you looking for Jesus is the question behind it. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's he's alive. And there's echoes of this in this questioning of why weren't you there? Well, where did you expect me to be but busy with the affairs of the father? Which is a different translation. That phrase is dubious. In the house of my father can also be translated as concerned with the affairs of my father. With the things that God cares about. And then there's also uh, a a note to the ascension, which we hear about in the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke. When Jesus ascends to the sky and and Luke gives us this almost characterized image of the disciples sort of staring blankly into the sky, kind of waiting to figure out if Jesus is going to reshape and rematerialize somewhere and come back. And then these angels showing up to them and saying, why are you looking for him there? Right? Look around. <laughs> Why are you standing looking? This question present in both the resurrection and the ascension accounts is I think a question for all accounts. Why are you looking elsewhere? Look for where Christ is, not where you think he should be. And find that Christ can be in all places where God is willing to be and where we are willing to be God's people. Where did you expect me to be, Jesus says, but concerned with the affairs of my Father? And this is the Jesus who later says, well, where you gave a glass of water to somebody who was thirsty, a blanket, to somebody who was cold, You clothed me, and you quenched my thirst. Where did you meet you, Jesus? Well, wherever you were concerned with the affairs of my Father. It's a simple and such powerful message, isn't it? Look to Jesus to understand the ways of God, Luke is telling us. And look to the things that God cares for, to find Jesus. Look to Jesus in the gospel accounts and let him guide you into all the other accounts that surround and inform it to understand the ways of God and look to the things that God cares for to find Jesus. And the life and the ministry of Jesus, as told by the gospel writers and beyond, they take us far beyond the confines of the temple in Jerusalem Far beyond the stable in Bethlehem, where we often want to cram the three magi. Far beyond the woodworking shop in Nazareth, where Jesus probably grew up learning the craft from Joseph. Far beyond. Galilee, unkosher Galilee, right? Cross outside of Jerusalem and beyond the confines of the earth. And this is, this is the good news. This is the gospel in this and so many other stories that bear this message of a God capable, willing, and moving to reveal the God self in all the different sites of these biblical landscapes, as we might call it, but also in the different realities and spaces of our lives. And always again revealing the resilience of life, of the resurrected Christ and the power of grace. That is the gospel exercise that we see Luke doing in this story, right when he goes back and explores it, but that also we want to to do in a way. It's the the gospel exercise or anchoring behind the exercise that we want to embark on this season of Epiphany. And we're going to go into a new series, which, uh, which I have called Around the Word. Around the Word. And there's different ideas to this, right? But what we're going to do this season is we're going to, quite plainly, we're going to follow the lectionary. Uh, the lectionary is a, a, a proposal of texts that the Bible Society sets out every year. And, and many churches will follow it, so there's a set text given for every Sunday. Uh, and all the churches in the Church of Norway follow this. Many other denominations will follow it as well. Uh, and it will take you. But the interesting thing with the lectionary, as we explore it this season, is that it will take you different places in Scripture. Why do we go to these different places? Well, we go there because we believe that Christ, in, in, in meeting Christ in these places, new possibilities and new meanings are, are made, are made possible for us. And we go around the word as Jesus takes us there yeah. because we believe that we are gathered around him, right? And we explore what that means in these different sites so that we may find more about Jesus. And that's the exercise in our Sundays. When we meet here, we open the scriptures and we do what we do as Christians, right? We open When we gather, we open the scriptures. We try to understand. But beyond the confines of our Sundays, we are invited to find Jesus. We are invited to find Jesus in conversation with all these places, these sites of knowledge and practice in our life our workplaces, our practices of faith, our practices of family. Our practices of meals, our practices of generosity, our practices of health, our knowledges about all these things, our understandings about all these things, invited to find Jesus in conversation with all of them. And it's like Jesus sitting in the temple as a 12 year old, that place that was so emblematic for everything that the community surrounding Jesus thought they knew about the world and about themselves. And Jesus is sitting there. And he's making questions. And he's maybe giving answers or maybe his questions are pointing answers that we couldn't realize before he asked them. But the most amazing thing of all I think, is not the puzzlement of his questions or the admiration of his knowing. right? But it's that he's there. He's sitting there. And this image Luke brings us, he's sitting there as a 12-year-old. He's upending the whole system. And he's so remarkably at home with us so that we may be at home with him. That's the exercise, right? That's the call. That's the gospel. That's why we go from here every Sunday and believe that the faith we declare, practice, and, and, and seep ourselves in, in this space is a faith that is also present everywhere we walk. Around the world, around the world, where are we looking for Christ? I say we look wherever we are and let him change us there. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards you. May the Lord turn His face towards each and every one of you, towards your days of sorrow and struggle and your days of joy and celebration, that He may bring you of His peace, that He may be your peace. So go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ and serve each other, serve the world, and in doing so, serve the Lord and let us do it joyfully. you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.